Well, this morning, uh, I was thinking about uh, this all week, about the Beatitudes, or no, the, the Sermon on the Mount, and um, you're blessed. And the title of my sermon was, You're Blessed, and then I had a question mark after it. Because most of the time when we think about you're blessed, uh, I think we kind of doubt that we really are. So um, I was listening to someone, and they were talking about the pain, the process, meaning that you have pains that come into your life. You know, the, Jesus is meeting with these individuals, and he is um, giving them instructions as to how they are to continue to think about what's going on in their life and think about problems that they face. So... In the process of life, we have pain, we have process, we have attitudes, and we have outcomes. So if we want to change the outcome, well, often we, have, we can't eliminate the pain because difficulties come. Um, what is the, the tripod that always goes together? Uh, pain, fear, pain, and I forgot. I knew those right off my top of my head and they slid off. So anyhow, um, there are three that always travel together, tripod, and I always used it in, in, uh, in counseling and things, was um, pain. I'll think of it. I'll, it's a pain that I can't remember. So uh, but anyhow, there, in, this, uh, in this process, we, are, we have situations that come up and we don't like change. We don't like difficulties. We have a unique perspective that something has gone wrong if we don't have everything we want the way we want it. But in the, in the whole idea is there's a process of dealing with the pain. There's a process of dealing with the problem. And if the outcome is always the same, then we have to look at the process. All right? And then we have to look at our attitude because people can have a really poor attitude. I'm sure none of you are qualified for that. But there are people out there that have (laughs) a poor attitude about themselves, about God, about life, and nothing is ever good. So, you're blessed. Is it a question mark or is it a declaration? Is it a question mark that we really don't know or is it a declarative statement that we already are and that we continue to be? So, we have to look then at the things that determine what we have and what we're experiencing in Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 verse beginning at verse 1 when when Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds all right now Jesus saw the ministry drawing huge crowds today if that were something we would say he's a very successful individual he is a Joel Osteen he is a what's the lady Joyce Meyer, he is somebody of great influence in his society and time, and he, drew, and he draws great crowds. Well, but Jesus does something difficult or something different. He climbed a hillside. <laughs> well, wait a minute. He climbed a hillside. He went to a higher place. And it says those who were apprentices to him, the committed, climbed with him. So, When they're in the process here, Jesus was kind of separating the crowd. He was distancing himself from the people who were just the onlookers, the, wow, I was in the crowd the day he did this and and that. And so, but we have Jesus and we have his apprentices. 
and we have the people who were committed, and they climbed. So it appears then that a number of individuals kind of fell off the journey, <laughs> that they stopped and said, you know, it's not worth the effort. You know, I have a heart condition. <laughs> Can't make it up there, or whatever. That's a little, little joke, you know. But um, not knowing where Jesus was going, how far he was going to go up the hill, how far are you going? You know, he didn't, they didn't get those question answers, and so they kind of fell off and went back home. They fell off the group and walked away. Well, arriving at a quiet place. Hmm. Arriving at a quiet place. Did you ever have a group of people that you just couldn't get them to be quiet? <laughs> you know, no matter what you did, they're always talking, they're always buzzing about something. Well, Jesus is going to talk to them about something very important. He's going to give them information about their pain, their process, their attitude, and their outcomes. <laughs> He's going to give them a way of dealing with life from here on out. And he didn't need to try and quiet the crowd to listen. He just went to a place where all the people who were too busy talking didn't feel like going. Now, this quiet place reminds me of our last week when our doing the Lord's Prayer. In verse 6 it says, here's, and Jesus is saying this at that point, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet place secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God just be very simple and as honestly as you can can manage the focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace hmm. so Jesus is taking these disciples and these apprentices and these committed individuals he's taking them to a quiet place where the focus will shift from them to God now, whenever we read these uh, statements that Jesus is uh, talking about, he, he sat down and he taught his climbing companions. Right. He sat down and we have pictures, you know, no photographs, but pictures. <laughs> pictures of Jesus sitting on a rock going up the side of a hill, you know, and all of his disciples and so on are or they're committed, they're around him in, on this kind of, on this hillside. So they arrived at this climbing, they arrived at this quiet place. Jesus sat down, and he began to teach them. Now, isn't that what we want to have whenever we reach a quiet place, when the emphasis shifts from us to God? We want Jesus to teach us something. We want life to teach us. The Holy Spirit is always there with us, and life events are teaching us. Um, the other day, Terry and uh, the family were down at the, down at the camper, <laughs> and we were sitting around, and there's this worm, caterpillar. I always call them worms, but they're caterpillars. This little caterpillar going along, and he crawls on a leaf. You know, big deal, caterpillar on a leaf. And then, it, then he starts this back-and-forth motion with his head. And moving a little bit, moving a little bit. And you can't see a thing that he's doing. But after a period of time, the leaf starts to fold up. And then you can see this little strand of silk that this thing's been making. And after about 10 or 15 minutes, he had the whole thing closed. 
They got it closed. You know, and I always thought, well, those caterpillars, they just find a leaf that's folded over and crawl in there and make their cocoon. Well, this guy started with a flat leaf. <laughs> and it's just a little thing, and he's going back and forth with his head. It's like he's doing, you know, a, some kind of Zumba rubble on, you know, <laughs> back and forth. You know, he's got this head motion going, you know, hey, wow, you know, and there's, there's no music. But he's, and then, then the leaf just begins to fold over, and, what, and then by the time he's done, it's completely flat. And he's in there somewhere. So we stepped on him, and uh, no. <laughs> nope. He just, he's just chilling out on his leaf, so they took the leaf home. Yeah. Hadley had to take, it, take the leaf home. But so that, that caterpillar is, you know, what he, I, in, all, in all my years, <laughs> I've never seen a caterpillar do that. You know, we just, you know, just, he just figured, you know, though they found a leaf that's folded over, crawled in there, and made their cocoon. But they've gone in there and started the process. So what, are, what is it that we are taught by everyday life? Hmm. What is it that we are taught that nature, in, the, in that situation, nature knows what it's doing? Now, here's this little bug, worm, maybe an inch and a half long, and it's got sense enough that when it's time, it finds itself a leaf and it starts to make this cocoon where it's going to go through a, a metamorphosis of change, and it has enough sense to know that. Hmm. <laughs> so here we are. Do we have enough sense to know that we go through a, a changing process every day of our life, in every situation that comes to us, with every decision that we make, we have a change that we're, a process of change that we're getting, we're being involved with. So if you want to know, go to a quiet place and let the focus change from you and, to the, and your need to God and to your understanding of Christ and of the scriptures. Verse 3 says, you are blessed. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. <laughs> you see, Jesus is taking, this is the Sermon on the Mount, it's one of his first lessons that he's telling the disciples and his followers, I want you to know something. When you're at the end of the rope, you're blessed. Now, I don't know about those guys, but when I'm at the end of the rope, I'm about ready to fall off. <laughs> I can't hang on much longer. And he's telling me that I'm blessed. Well, blessed means made holy or consecrated. So I am made holy and consecrated to God when I reach the end of my rope. I don't want to sign up for that class, okay? Those going back to class, if you get to choose your classes, I'm not signing up for the end of the rope class. <laughs> I don't like the end of the rope class. Well, he's telling them you have to change your perspective. You have to change how you see things. And he's telling them, when, you, um, when you're in this quiet place with me, and you feel like you've reached the end of your rope, you're blessed, you're made holy, and you're consecrated because with less of you, there is more of God. <laughs> and in, uh, in the expanded version said, blessed are those who recognize their spiritual poverty for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. 
Blessed are those who recognize their spiritual poverty. That when I reach the end of my rope, do I consider that a spiritual experience? Is this a God thing, the end of my rope? And Jesus is telling the disciples, yes, it is. I want you to know you're blessed when you reach the end of your rope. Because that's not the rope I want you to be holding on to. (laughs) I don't want you to be holding on to your rope. I want you to understand that you are consecrated and you are blessed because you can let go of your rope and find (laughs) Christ and know the strength that comes from serving God. (laughs) It's the um, story of this guy was out climbing, you know, and he fell, and he caught onto this branch, and he's holding onto it, and he's hollering for help. Nobody answers. Hollers for help. Nobody answers. And so he he says, is there anybody else up there? Oh, he hollers up, and then God God says, hello, it's me. It's God. Oh, God, help me out of here. He says, it's okay. You're just a foot from the ledge. Let go. It's dark. You can't see. He said, but God, I I can't. There's no ledge down here. He said, yes, there is. Trust me. And the man thought for a minute, and he says, is there anybody else up there? (laughs) So that's the end of our rope, okay? Jesus said, blessed are they. Blessed are you when you are at the end of your rope. Blessed are you whenever you recognize your spiritual poverty, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Um, Jacob wrestled with the angel. He wouldn't let the angel go until he was blessed. You find the quiet place. You enter into a struggle, and God will bless you, perhaps as he did Jacob, and changed his name to Israel deceiver to father of many nations. Okay. Uh, There's a couple of other things there. Um, In Christ, all the world will be blessed. He came not only to purchase blessing for us, but to pour out and pronounce blessing on us. So whenever we're thinking about blessed are they, whenever we read this text, blessed are they, that we need to recognize Jesus is the one who is the blessing, Jesus is the one who came to arrange the blessing, and he's the one who came to pour out the blessing on our life. So when he says, blessed are those who recognize their spiritual poverty, he's saying, blessed are you because you know that you don't have enough spiritual strength to, see, to understand or see this. Verse 4. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you embrace be embraced by the one most dear to you. Well, I like the other version. It says, they are blessed who grieve, for God will comfort them. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Did you know that when I read, when I read this, when I read it before, blessed are they who mourn, and for God, okay, got two, you can have two, there's only one subject of the verse, Verse. There's only one subject here that is most important. Mourning or God? Grief or God? I always used to think grief. <laughs> grief is the subject of this sentence. I should know better. <laughs> 
But the subject of the sentence is God. Blessed are those who mourn because God is going to see us through. You see, God is sovereign. God is the one who is going to take care of us. And whenever we see that God is there, uh, we have a different perspective of our loss. We have a different perspective of life. We have a different perspective of what is yet coming. So blessed, they are blessed who grieve, for God will comfort them. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mary and Martha, they were grieving because Jesus didn't show up in time to heal their brother. But Jesus had a resurrection in mind. You see, the mourning, the grief, was more important than Jesus because he didn't come on time. He didn't answer our prayers. But in reality, I am the, res- resurrect- I am the resurrection in life. He who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now let's look at our mourning. Blessed. <laughs> and what's the word blessed mean? It means made holy and consecrated. I am blessed, I am made holy by God and consecrated to God, even in my grief or loss process. Five, verse five. Blessed are they, made holy, consecrated, when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself around owners of everything that can't be bought. That's the one version. They are blessed who are humble. The whole earth shall be theirs. Blessed are the humble. Consecrated, made holy, are the humble. The King James says, blessed are the meek. Now, the word meek and humble, um, the, <laughs> it's strength under control. It's, it's the ability, whenever... Whenever we hear the scriptures, it says, I can do all things through Christ who who strengthens me. That's for the meek. That's for the humble. Because those are the people who don't give up because they're consecrated, dedicated, and know that God is in charge and God is going to see them through. So they don't have to put on the show. They don't have to be the showboat. They are on the boat and the the driver in the boat is Jesus. And so he's the one who's going to rescue us. He's the one who's going to give us the strength to carry on. And one of the sentences that came up with it, Billy Graham was humble about his status as one of the century's most influential ministers. So he was humble at his status. Well, that's, we are humbled by our status with God. I can ask my father anything. I can ask my father for anything. And he promised me he'd do it. <laughs> well, I can get this and I can get that. Well, that's good. I don't, I don't mean to brag, but my dad's bigger than your dad. <laughs> my dad can take on your dad. <laughs> but my father, my father can take on anything. You see, you have to change how you see yourself. You have to see how, you change how you see yourself. The meekness. Joseph, when he was sold by his brothers, 
I don't know what his attitude was toward his brothers, but he kept his attitude towards God, that God was in charge. And whenever his brother showed up after Joseph was in charge of Egypt, his brother showed up and he has him around the table, Joseph could have had them all killed. <laughs> but Joseph was meek in his status in that he recognized, you guys meant it for evil, God meant it for good. When I come to the end of my rope, God means this for my good. You see, Jesus wanted the crowd to be quiet and stop murmuring around and to listen to what he was going to say because it was going to change everything they believed about themselves, about religion, and about God because they were going to change how they saw their difficulties. They were going to go through a pain, a process, an attitude, and an outcome. They're going to be blessed by reaching the end of the rope. All right, verse 6. <laughs> You're blessed when you work up a good appetite. Yes, we can go eat. No, that's not what it says here. So there's a little more to the verse. You're blessed when you work up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. The other version has hunger and thirst after justice, after righteousness. Just, a search for what is morally right and fair. Blessed are those who search for what is morally right and fair. We're not going to be complacent with evil, but we're going to look, we're going to, before God, we're going to be blessed if we search for that which is fair and that which is morally right. The just shall live by faith. Zacchaeus, whenever the tax collector, you know, and he, he goes to dinner with Jesus, and whenever he is converted, he says, I will give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have wronged or cheated, I will pay back four times. You see, the, the just, you're blessed whenever you look for that justice, that righteousness, because it's going to change your attitude about what you have. You can look for what is morally right. Verse 7. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourself cared for. The expanded version says, they are blessed who show mercy to others, for God will show mercy to them. <laughs> You're blessed when you show mercy to others because God will show mercy to you. You know, whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That we find ourselves in a position that, here again, these are people, they're Jewish individuals who are out on the countryside and they've come to follow Jesus and there are his certain disciples and elected there and there's a few others that are around and he's talking to them about how they're going to view the rest of their life because he is now with them. Mercy, compassion, or forgiveness shown towards someone when it is within one's power to punish or harm. You see, they are blessed when they show mercy to others, for God will show mercy to them. Whenever you are in a position to do harm, to get back at, and you say, no, I'm not getting back at. I'm going to let that up to God. I'm going on with my life. Blessed are those. Verse 8. You're blessed when you get, in, get your inside world 
and uh, your mind and your heart put right, then you can see God in the outside world. The, other, the expanded version says, they are blessed whose thoughts are pure, for they will see God. <laughs> your thoughts are pure, free from any contamination, meaning that, God, what are your thoughts? I want to think your thoughts. What are your thoughts, God? Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. God, let your thoughts be in me, which you have in heaven. The thoughts that you have for me, about me, about my life, about what I can become, what I can do. You see, pure of any contamination, God, wash me, and I shall be white as snow. I am without contamination. We enter boldly into the presence of God. Verse 9. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. The expanded version said, Those who work for peace, for, the will of, for, they, for they will be called God's children. They are blessed, those who work for peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Jesus says, My peace I give unto you, not as the world give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Most of the peace stealers that come to our life are coming in fear. We are afraid of something, and so our peace is stolen by our fears. And if we can be at peace about God and about our relationship with him and about our life, blessed are those who come to the end of the rope so I don't have fear. You know, I'm listening to God's voice and I'm listening to what he is teaching me and I find a place where, hmm, I'm comfortable in my own shoes and where I'm living. And then verse 10, blessed. You're blessed when, you, when you're committed to God. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. The expanded version says, they are blessed who are persecuted for doing good, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Doing the right thing and people not liking it is very common. <laughs> you know, people don't understand biblical principles. People don't understand about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And Jesus, in the time that he is speaking this, these people don't understand it either. He's just beginning this whole process of teaching them. And here, is the, here he's laying down the groundwork, the framework, the foundation of what he's going to build his kingdom on and how that God is going to change our thinking, change our perspective, change what we consider pain, process, you know, attitude, outcome. We're finding out that God is going to reward us with his blessing and his kingdom. Now, recognize your spiritual poverty. We need God. Bless are those who mourn and grieve. God will comfort. The emphasis is on God. Blessed are the humble, the meek. They are the ones who have strength in their soul and in their heart. They are the tenacious, we won't give up. Blessed are the hunger and thirsty after justice doing that which is right in God's sight. 
Blessed are those who show mercy, the power to be kind. Blessed are those who, um, are, whose thoughts are pure, that in the purity of God's presence we find the cleansing of our soul. Blessed are those who work for peace. Blessed for doing good, even though persecution, heaven belongs to them. And this is how he finishes this. Not only that, count yourself blessed every time people put you down or throw you out to speak lies about you, to discredit you, or to discredit me, meaning Jesus. What it means is this, that the truth is too close for comfort, and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer, even, for though they do not like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Blessed are ye when men shall revel you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before them. Rejoice. Rejoice. Blessed. Be exceedingly glad. We are looking at life not from an event perspective, but from a God perspective, that he is the one who holds us and guides us and keeps us each step of the way. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Let's stand, shall we? Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. So, arrive at a quiet place. <laughs> in your spirit, in your soul, in a place where you sit down and just contemplate God. Your prayers to him and how God is going to answer or work through your life. And look at the events that we face. If it's a painful event, know that there's a process that we have to go through. Know that there is an attitude that we need to have and there is a desired outcome that God wants in our life. God, we thank you for hearing our prayers, knowing our life, knowing that we are fulfilled in you. We ask God your blessing upon us. Let your spirit speak to our hearts and help us, Lord, as we go through each daily situation knowing, Lord, that you work in and through us and through these difficulties, knowing, Lord, that we are at peace with you. God, you are at peace with us, and you are about to work miracles in our life, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. <laughs> amen. <laughs>